Welcome to Libraryland Conversations. I'm Adam Zan, the president of the Libraryland Project. And we started these conversations back when libraries were mostly closed and our visits were few and far between. And now they've really become some of our favorite ways to stay in touch with people and uh, hear what's happening in the world of libraries. Thanks, Adam. I'm Greg PC, the executive director of the Libraryland Project. Today's episode features Dr. Ray Pun, one of the most dynamic librarians out there. I first came across Ray during an interview he did with Dr. John Burgess at the University of Alabama and was amazed by the scope of things he's involved with. And I can't wait to hear about them in more detail today. Thanks for being with us, Ray. Um, our second connection came when you reached out uh, to do an interview for the, and this name is such a mouthful, the, uh, the Continuing Professional Development and Workplace Learning blog of IFLA, the International Federation of Library Associations and Institutions. Um, I think it would be a great place to start, Ray. Um, and again, thank you for joining us, is to kind of tell us about the things that you're currently working on, because there's a million of them. Yeah, thanks, Greg and Adam. Uh, appreciate this invitation here. So I will just share a few of the major items I'm working on right now to give you and your listeners an idea of what's been on my my uh, tabs, windows, and whatnot. So and also my Trello sheets. So the first thing I'm working on is actually related to what you shared earlier about the. Continuing Professional Development and Workplace Learning, known as CPDWL. It's a section under IFLA, and there are many sections under IFLA, and this one focuses on professional development, but there are other sections with uh, 20 or so committee members from around the world um, in various topics like rare books, preservation, information literacy, academic libraries, etc. But this one specifically is on professional development and one of the work that we've been trying to get out there is to promote what and how people perceive professional development in their workplace, in their career. So regardless of where they are located, they could be in Australia, they could be in Germany or in Russia or in Peru, we try to do different types of uh, work to promote it. And one way to promote it is through a podcast conversation. And this is our third season we're he heading into this fall. And what's been going on in the past few seasons is that we've inter uh, interviewed and highlighted the work that many of our library leaders have been doing, including the IFLA president 21 to 23, that's coming up, but 2019 to 21, Christine McKenzie from Australia. And it was a great opportunity to learn her journey, her story, and how she decided to get involved with professional development. Being a president of an association or an organization isn't necessarily, we learn from these conversations, working through the ranks. You have to actually uh, have a presence working beyond your institution and making collaborations um, and commitment and service, right, to the association and profession at large. And a lot of people have shared throughout these podcast stories what were some of the challenges, what opportunities they saw, and really reflect on how IFLA impacted their, their career. So I'm looking forward to 
working on our season three podcast and it's multilingual. So most of it is in English, but then we also have had conversations with our members, um, whether they're in Spanish or in Japanese um, in the future, we're thinking ones in other languages so that it's really multilingual. And then we have transcriptions, translations to give context to what the conversation's about. And it's really fun because we're the only section out of the 20 or so different sections are doing a podcast series. And we get to have a lot of creative energy and imagination to decide how we want to produce and disseminate the podcast conversation. So you can check it out at um, on our websites uh, that I could share out later. So the second project. Oh, sorry. Yep. I was going to say we'll we'll include links at the end of the uh, at the end of the episode. Yeah, that'll be great. And so that's that's sort of one project I've been the lead sort of host and producer of for the section as a member. The second project I've been working on is in a collaboration with a couple of associations that I am involved in. So one is the Asian Pacific American Librarians Association, known as HALA, and the other is the Chinese American Librarians Association, known as KALA. And we recently were awarded an IMLS grant funded for uh, about a year and a year and a half on a national forum to host a program for leadership development for Asian American Pacific Islanders. So both associations have done a lot of work in promoting AAPI library, library workers in the field, giving leadership opportunities. Yet we're still seeing some, some challenges within the profession in diversifying and increasing inclusion and, and diversity at, at large, particularly for AAPI library workers in leadership roles. So this IMLS grant funded project would give us an opportunity to come together about 50 plus AAPI library workers to really discuss what are the leadership issues, challenges, opportunities, barriers, and then come up with a curriculum that allows us to take it to different ways where we can build on an actual leadership program that allows um, in the future um, AAPI library leaders interested in developing, cultivating necessary skills. So, so we're really excited to, to be receiving this IMLS grant funded project because it was a lot of work trying to um, put the paperwork together. As you know, uh, for the listeners who have done grant, grant work, it's, it, it can be quite, quite challenging, but particularly at a federal level and then working at a, on a volunteer basis because all the association work we know are led by incredible devoted members, but we're all volunteers too. So those are the two major projects I'm working on. Uh, in addition to having a full-time job and, and trying to have some work-life balance. That's awesome. I mean, we love the site and we love participating on the blog and it's great that you've expanded with the, the uh, podcast and the like, but I, I like the expansion and the other projects. I sort of see a commonality there. You brought up professional development and, uh, you know, I know you, you've done a lot in your career path, but we'd love to hear, you know, how you got to where you are now on, on a couple of those things, either IFLA or, or your day job, as you said. Yeah, it's it's been interesting. How I got involved has been mostly been taking risks and trying different things. So, so I started off as a a public li- library worker, and then as a becoming public librarian in a research capacity in New York City, and then having the opportunity to do public programming, doing teaching, doing reference work, doing collection development. And then that was within the scope of the job. And then it kind of grew more as I learned that I really enjoyed forming partnerships, working with others to lead long-term projects. 
And, and then I realized uh, that during my career early on, as I started working for it, that it, it isn't necessarily um, doing a great, great work. It's important. Certainly you, you want to do great work in your role, but you also want to have that collaboration outside of it, right? Like I ended up learning or it reaffirmed me through the podcast conversation when folks have been involved so much, you know, ex- externally that they were able to develop a presence. And so I ended up getting involved through like ALA. So when I was a, a library school student, I didn't, I didn't think much of it. I think we, we all learn, oh, it's important to join, get the student right, get involved early on, network. But then it didn't like make sense. It felt also a little bit contrarian, like, oh, I'm going to pay my membership so I can do more work. Like it didn't, it, at first it didn't make sense. And then I think I, I, I got to see, well, it's, it's not necessarily um, like that kind of thinking, but rather how we expand our um, networks to do different types of projects or solicit or receive help, right? Or get from different mentorships, making connections. Because when you have these sort of associations, whether you're a member of ALA or Apollo, et cetera, you, you, you really develop a sense of uh, community value, a sense of belonging, right? You have that connection. Otherwise, it, it'd be kind of kind of difficult, right, to, to reach out to somebody with no commonality. Um, so I started realizing, oh, this is really critical because my role has shifted um, throughout my career in, in different settings, being a public library worker, being an academic library worker, um, being a school library librarian, and then working at special collections, and then talking to different colleagues within the association, and then having volunteered and served, led in different committees that doesn't necessarily have any direct impact on my job, but it has certainly impact on the association where it's it's affording other members, other volunteers opportunities to lead, enabling them to uh, work together, right? And collaboratively on these different topics, projects, whether it's like financially related or programming or policy matter, that they wouldn't get a chance. We wouldn't get a chance to do it in our day-to-day job, but then we get to do it um, in, in yeah. So, so, so it's sort of like there, there's been sort of opportunities to, to experiment and try new things. That's awesome. That's awesome. I mean, you've done so many different kinds of librarianship, you know, reference, academic, technical services, instructional. Um, you know, this is a two-part question. One, if you could touch on some of the challenges and rewards of each of those different practice areas. And then I've heard you described by some as a solo librarian. Uh, and it doesn't sound like that's a very accurate description, but I'm curious what it means. And in that case, how do you stay on top of all the things you're involved with? Yeah, great question, Greg. I'll, I'll, I'll take on the, the second one first. Actually, that, that has shifted recently. I'm not a solo librarian anymore. I, I work at a different institution focusing on special collections. But previously, as a solo librarian, you would be responsible for everything from um, setting up the library, which is what I did, website, making sure people get access to the database, the, the proxy, connecting the databases over, tracking the usage, teaching the students how to access the content, and basically a, a life cycle, right? Like, how do you get students to use it, but then, like, assess their usage, and then working with faculty to recruit or design new New, new resources that, that will be meaningful. And then touching base in like public service work to technical service work. And so um, that was sort of a, a day-to-day job, which is like you, you, you get to try different things, which is what I really um, enjoyed at that time. And so I think uh, for the folks who are solo librarians, it, 
it's, it's sort of a two sides of the same coin. It's amazing. You get to do all these different types of work because you get to try different things and, and pilot. But it's also a, a cumbersome. You have to do all this different type of work by yourself. And, and so it's sort of like a, a, a yeah, a, an issue, but also an opportunity. So, so it depends how, how people view it. But in terms of your, your first question about sort of like, like looking into different, different services, you know, I haven't been so much involved with technical services till I became that solo librarian. I, I had done some work previously processing serials and cataloging some of that, but not to this extent where I have been setting up um, single sign-on usage and, and, and getting easy proxy set up and testing. It, it got really technical and doing acquisitions workflow. And, and it was so helpful to connect with some of my colleagues who do that on a day-to-day basis, people who are acquisitions head, e-resource managers, and then just talking to them and then getting their in- advice, input. And so that's where it, I found it to be helpful when you're involved in association work. Then you can tap onto those colleagues with specialization and then they can give you their their take on your situation because you may be the person doing it all, but you're, you're not necessarily the expert. I have developed expertise in outreach and research services. And I think that has been continuously developing, but then the other areas included copyright and I didn't, wasn't uh, too familiar with it. I mean, I knew fair use and and some, some other languages, but I had to tap on some copyright librarians, just literally that's their title to give me some, some walkthrough. So over time, it's sort of like, there's some things that will be challenging, but it's always opportunity if you have that growth learning mindset, right? To try different things and to learn. And that's what um, it afforded me to do. So I think for folks thinking about solo librarian work, um, that that will be quite um, quite the way to go. Excellent. That's, that's great. Um, I, I'm a communicator, uh, some would say, and I, but, but more importantly, sometimes a connector. And I really appreciate the importance of a strong network. And you talked about, you know, the associations and the membership organizations. And I was wondering, you know, you can sign up for these things and you mentioned that, but how do you sort of move beyond to build a strong network? Uh, you, you, you know, you talked about a little bit of your sort of outlook on, on life and people, but I, I wonder if you have any advice you could share on building a strong network and how to use it effectively. Right, so I think early on in the career, or actually at, at sort of any stage, if you're, if you're thinking about building that network or rebuilding it, I would say um, get involved, volunteers, connect with your uh, local, state, or national level committee chairs if you're interested, and then seeing what, what's being offered. Maybe there's a timeline sometimes when it comes to recruitment, but it's always great when you volunteer because it shows that you want to go beyond your day-to-day work scope. And I think that gives you some direction where you can stay, stay in touch with those who are in leadership roles who can like flag or share opportunities for you to collaborate and be part of. I think it's also hard because people during this time can be very uh, squeezed and stretched. There's just so many things we can do during the day. And so I, I, it comes down to prior, prioritization. So if you're thinking, for instance, like I'm, I'm looking to expand my network so that later Maybe if I'm thinking of moving, relocating uh, for another job opportunity, you know, that, that might be helpful, right? Like sort of have some goals in mind. Um, certainly uh, networking for the sake of networking might be a little challenging, but if you have sort of an idea, like I want to get involved in academic librarianship because I've been a public librarian for a while, might be a good time to start connecting with 
academic library groups and circles, right, to get that um, feedback, mentorship that might help you um, get into those positions that you're seeking. And for me, one of the things I, I was always interested in is having a, a, a global or international network. And it wasn't necessarily through IFLA. It was sort of like through different channels. But IFLA was certainly one of them where I attended a, a conference uh, in South Africa five years ago around this time too. A friend just shared with me their um, their memories of us there. It was really nice to to recall that. And then as I attended the conference, I made the connections, got the business cards at the time, and then stayed in touch with people, and then volunteered to like set up webinars or um, be in the committee. And then over, the, over that time, it kind of um, increased, right? Uh, where you end up knowing more people, those people know other people. For instance, now, back before COVID, if I had a trip to Sweden, I was invited to give some presentation. I connected to a few colleagues there and it was really nice because I immediately knew people in Stockholm. And so over time, I think it, 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 it grows and it's just like something you have to work on. People um, have to think that it's not something that just happens. You're, you're part of an association and then you have a network. No, you kind of have to work on it, right? It, it's, it takes time to cultivate those relationships. And I think for me, my work has always been relationship centered, like like supporting colleagues, whether they are new in their career or seasoned and finding ways to collaborate, promote their work or, you know, share some, some resources. So I, I think it, it just takes some time to, to build that and volunteering and leading and agreeing to do the work that you're agreeing to do. Yeah. But that is at the end of the day, you do need to get the work done. Still, it's an important piece of the, uh, expectation game when you're doing stuff with associations or colleagues right um, and i was sorry i wanted to also add it's not easy too because everyone's a volunteer so when you're leading a group of volunteers i i think it's actually harder than maybe potentially as, as a manager when you're leading direct supports because there that has some actual like leverage you have as a supervisor they're they're you know employees of yours compared to volunteers right which is you know people who are naturally right inclined to do things but may 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 have other commitments absolutely um you know i'm struck that your your work and your network have given you a, a unique perspective on some of the issues facing libraries internationally um and i'm curious you know what have you seen and learned uh, about how different librarians and library systems are approaching issues like like covid like information literacy like inclusion i mean these are all things that come up a lot when we're talking about libraries here in the U.S., but I'm curious, how do those things play out elsewhere? Yeah, I think there is a a divide um, right now at the moment, what I'm seeing, a divide between those who are in the front line doing the work, um, setting up the parameters and, and ensuring that our users and their library needs are met, and then those who are sitting in administration. I think that is an issue that is quite, quite fraught, unfortunately, with a lot of friction because of what they see and then what, what's being expected. And, and the administrators are also being pressured, right, by their provosts or, or university leadership or the city boards, trustees, et cetera, or their principals. So, so, so there's going to be some of that friction and tension that's happening right now. And, and I don't, I don't know if, if it will actually, um, if it will actually 
be resolved by itself, right? It's going to be creating a lot of morale issues and, and, and all different types of concerns. So, so I see sort of that in terms of COVID and, and hopefully um, there'll be some reconciliation and understanding how we address it in a meaningful way for our users and for our, our workers, our colleagues who are out there doing the work without having the privilege to work remotely, right? And so I think that that's been an issue facing, facing a lot of librarians around the world, um, figuring out how to reopen. And of course, there are libraries that have remained open and have done things um, during COVID. And, and that's something uh, to applaud them. But for others that are trying to scale up, it, it's, it's uh, been, been quite a challenge. I, I also think um, one other issue that people are, are thinking about is professional development. And, and that goes in back to our initial conversation about being involved in professional development work. And what does that even look like during and after we manage COVID? It is, are, we, are people still going to be going to conferences to meet in person? Are there, there's been so many hybrid sessions. People have been able to accomplish a lot more uh, through hybrid sessions, or I should say not hybrid, virtual sessions, or will it be a hybrid session? So I think that will determine how people start learning, developing new skills, networks. It's certainly not the same, you know, engaging virtually. It's certainly um, preferred to meet in person, but there's also all this consideration, travel, time, budget, you know, all that, that plays into a factor when you're, when you are doing professional development work at a conference. So I, I think um, that's something a lot of associations around the world, particularly in libraries, like any other association, are thinking about. Like, how do they strengthen and support learning in these difficult times? And so the IFLA conference, they had their World Information Library Congress last week in, in three days, first time virtual. They, they usually have it in person, rotating to some, some part of the world each year. But because of COVID, they went virtual, um, had, had that struggle too, right? But then they, they emphasized one thing that I think a lot of us are seeing, that we cannot do it ourselves alone, whether we are a single institution or as an individual. We have to start thinking about partnerships. So that is something that I have seen and learned on what other library libraries and librarians are doing, which is um, forming more partnerships in support of information literacy, equity, services to people with disabilities, because it's so challenging to have that task right, for one library to handle. So I'll give you an example here. Like um, the National Library of Singapore, they had gave a presentation on how they were countering fake news and COVID-19, particularly on the issues of how people are getting information, how do we provide training. So what they did was they partnered with different universities to highlight uh, and create webinar series, and they partnered with schools to distribute it to teachers. They couldn't do it alone. They could not simply just send it out and, and expect people to start following. They had to partner, have conversations, get experts together to talk about these issues. And I think that's what the highlight that I was trying to say about partnerships, where people... Um, institutions cannot just do it alone. We have to collaborate. So that's what I'm seeing to address some of those issues. And it seems like people need to be creative when they think about partnerships, not just their own bailiwick, but how do you think about beyond the borders of your profession to find people who can help get jobs done? Right, exactly. And certainly um, we're going to see more, more connections between that and collaborations with like a, like the profession, social workers, right? There's, there's certainly a growing need for uh 
potentially having social workers in public library spaces, community spaces uh, to support um, people with different needs. Uh, I, I mean, I, I love the examples you gave and the best practices. I, I don't want to cut you short on any other trends or opportunities you're seeing out there uh, beyond the ones we talked about. Yeah, I, I wanted to highlight um, during that conference last week, they also mentioned they did a whole um, survey throughout the year and then like narrowed it down to like 20 trends. And I'll highlight um, these two trends that came out of what they discussed. I don't think it's, it's necessarily out there, but, but it's great because then your listeners are getting something um, specific um, for this need. Um, one of the trend included virtual is here to stay. So people will continue to prefer accessing library services remotely, putting into question the value of spaces and physical offerings. That is um, something we're gonna see more of. How do we leverage our virtual services, resources to really meet the current needs of our users beyond Zoom, beyond uh, Q&A sort of functions that websites, but, but rather being really responsive. And so the other side of it, another trend that was brought up is physical spaces, the comeback of physical spaces. People rediscovering the value of spaces, offering opportunities for meaningful exchange and discussion. Certainly after COVID or when COVID's managed, people are looking forward to getting back together, libraries being a community space, whether it's academic, public or school, et cetera, can really foster those connections again. But what does that look like? So I think those are the two main trends that we're, we're, we're gonna see more um, facing libraries. How do they balance you know, safety with virtual and physical? It's, you, when we visit libraries and talk to the library community, those are definitely two top of mind things. You know, People have fallen in love with virtual services. We were speaking to the, the Worcester Public Library uh, here in Worcester, Mass. And they said, I think it was a 65% increase in adult program participation. Um, with virtual programs. And so I think they realize, oh, this is something we should keep doing. Um, and the physical space thing too. I mean, we saw a real sea change in physical space in the early knots when people figured out how the internet was affecting public libraries or, or libraries in general. And I think it's going to happen again now um, as we get our hands around how that will be impacting uh, services. Um, I'd like to gaze to your crystal ball and how do you see these things playing out in the next few years? I mean, what do you imagine will happen both in terms of, you know, professional development, but also that combination of uh, virtual and physical, any predictions? You know, I think I'm, I'm not uh, good at predictions, but I will say that one thing that sh struck me um, related to the trends and in response to your question that people had shared include um, inequalities, actually. They, they actually mentioned that inequalities will deepen with technology, creating new possibilities for those with access, the gap between them and those without grows, risking confining large shares of population's poverty unless action is taken. So that was the, the trend itself. And, and I think when, when we're seeing more opportunities to create virtual programming and engagement I, I certainly think it's great. We can expand and engage, but then what about those who don't have access, right? Like the, for, for whatever reason, whether it's their circumstance or they choose not to, how, how do we engage with, with those folks? Um, and I think that that will be a continued question that, that, that goes on um, as a, 
as a type of work that libraries need to do. Certainly, virtual spaces also need to be ex com uh, complemented with accessibility as well, and physical spaces, of course, too. So um, I think it's going to be interesting to see how people uh, think creatively, right, to, to do outreach and engage um, using both platforms in a hybrid setting. So that's sort of uh, where, where I want to want to leave addressing your question. You know, it, it, it's a really interesting issue because I think, um, you know, virtual has proven its, itself, but you're absolutely right. Um, access is a problem. And if you don't have access, you're, you're left behind. And the issue is access is more than just connectivity. It's understanding, you know, how do I evaluate information? How do I access the services that are being delivered uh, virtually? Um, it's a really interesting time to try to be thinking about how, you, how those things happen. Right, I think really on broadband issues and 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 the skills and the all the all the issues you, you had raised to like getting people, yeah, to to feel like their libraries will have these all these resources for them, regardless, right, of any sort of contingencies. Right. Ray, you've kind of taken us on a tour of the issues. I want to, if you don't mind taking us on a tour of uh, libraries, uh, I know with your travels through conferences and the like, and I think like like us, you're kind of library tourists. Do you have any favorites you'd like to share? Yeah, that's a good question. I really, I'll share two. Uh, I really like this question because I've seen a lot of libraries like 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 both of you have, and and it's great to not necessarily compare, but just get a sense of how the, the libraries serve its communities, right, in, in different and creative ways. So for something new, I really like the uh, Guangzhou Public Library in southern China. It is a new library. I was there in 2014, really, really state-of-the-art library. They had something that I thought was quite interesting and timely for today, 2021. So in 2014, when I visited, they had a, a machine that cleans books, sort of like quarantines books and and now I think there's there are more libraries having those types of machines but it was kind of cool fascinating to see back in 2014 and it was just like constantly flow of people in the children's section and the adult reading room adult books for services reading rooms and and all these different um different areas so so that's that's something I thought um was memorable for me the other library that I want to share for something of a traditional vibe, but really has a creative edge is, is actually where I worked and where I'm from, New York, uh, New York Public Libraries, library system, uh, I would say it's it, especially the, specifically the Stephen A. Schwarzman building, because it has all these treasures, first printed book of Mexico, letters from Jack Kerouac, or um, scrolls from ancient Israel, right, it's just so many different items, but the thing is, they also have a lot of technology and, and digitization and humanities projects and engaging with different scholars, MacArthur geniuses, so many different um, community members, K-12 students. So it, it has a robust way of doing outreach and its collections really there, like really, really rich. And so I find it um, nostalgic just thinking about how an institution of over 100 years continue to grow with the times to ensure that the users are met. Where is that in New York? Oh, it's on 42nd Street and 5th Avenue. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's it's the main research library. It's been in movie theaters, so you can find it in um, Spider-Man, the very first one, or um, 
Sex and the City in the movie where they got married. Uh, so yeah, there's different, different, it's been a scene. Oh, The Day After Tomorrow where they burn some of the oh, life. Right. To stay warm. I remember that. <laughs> quite, quite a pop culture sort of icon. Yeah. Um, well, I, before we say goodbye, there are two things. I mean, is there anything else you'd like to share? And then how can people find you? Yeah, I wanted to say thank you both again for making time to have this conversation. It was great for me to reflect and think back about the issues and trends that I learned last week, but also like for my for my own journey over time, being a librarian, an advocate for professional development for all. And it was great. So I appreciate this conversation I have with both of you. Uh, folks can find me um, on Twitter if, if you're on it uh, at Raypon101 or on Instagram. And generally um, speaking, I'm, I'm, around, I'm involved within American Library Association and the other associations that I mentioned. Well, this has been great, Ray. Really appreciate the time you spent with us. This is, this is wonderful. Totally. Friends, we have more library land conversations in store, and we'll be back soon. If you have questions, suggestions, comments, ideas for guests, Drop us in line at info at librarylandproject.org. You can find us on Spotify and wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And until next time, we'll see you in library land. Thanks very much.